What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Christeries. I'm your host, Chris DiStefano. Today, we're going to be talking about the Spanish-American War, not the one that happens in my household every night, the one in 1898. So, Spanish-American War. Today, we're going to be talking about the Philippines, how Puerto Rico became a country, Rough Riders, not the condom, the horseback group that Teddy Roosevelt rode with, and finally, Cuba. Viva Cuba. Cuba, not communist Cuba either, the good Cuba. So the, all, that ha- all those countries happened in 1898, but you know the one that's near and dear to my heart, Puerto Rico, the annexation of Puerto Rico happens in 1917. We'll tell you all about it. So we're going to learn all about the Spanish-American War and the annexation of Puerto Rico. So buckle up, baby. Go get your Goya, your Adobo, your Maduros, your Sofrito. I'm the new bad bunny. So Puerto Rico before the Spanish-American War of 1898, who are they? Well, the native population is called the Taino, which I hear in my household all the time. You know, Jasmine will always be like, I'm not Puerto Rican. I'm Taino, Native American. I'm Taino. I'm Taino. I'm like, no, you're not. You're American and you live on Staten Island. Deal with it. Now, if you know Puerto Ricans, uh, which I know Puerto Ricans very well, I actually make them in my little nut shop. What you'll hear a lot is Boricua. Boricua, bonena, Boricua, bonena. If you look at, you know, uh, a lot of Puerto Rican, they will have the word Boricua tattooed somewhere on their body. Where it actually comes from is the hunter-gatherer natives called it Bariquen. They called the island of Puerto Rico Bariquen. The Taino Indians called it Bariquen. So Bariqua is short for Bariquen. So there you go. I'm going to bring that up at the next barbecue and stuff it in Pito's face. So what happens is, you know, uh, in 1492... Chrissy Columbus, Christopher Columbus, yeah boy, comes to Puerto Rico on his second tour and he claims it for Spain. You're going to see that Puerto Rico isn't really the country that we know and love right now without Spain. Spain was huge in olden times. They're not as big of a deal now, but back in the day, Spain was the thit. In 1508, Puerto Rico, Ponce de Leon, founded the island's northern, northern shore, naming it Capara. So if you ever go to Puerto Rico, there's actually a fort there. There's a fort there, um, and it's called um, El Morro. El Morro, the fort. And I actually went there with my family, and there are signs all over El Morro, the fort at the northernmost point of the island, that says, don't wear hats, your hat will blow off, it's very windy. Jasmine takes one step out of the fort, her hat blows off right into the Atlantic. Right into the Atlantic, just blows right off her freaking Puerto Rican head. As soon as she takes one step off El Moro, the wind gusts and blows her hat right off her Bariqua head into the Atlantic Ocean. We're still looking for that. She's still looking for that hat. But I'll tell you what, she'll find that hat before she finds my text messages. So in 1508, Ponce de Leon, you know, I told you they named it Capara. Well, in 1521, it gets renamed to how we know and love it today. The words meaning the rich coast, Puerto Rico, capital San Juan. Storm it. So now for 400 years, Puerto Rico is under Spanish control from Spain. They're un- that, that is their colony. Just like the British owned the 13 American colonies, well, Spain owned Puerto Rico. And they would produce cattle for them and sugarcane and coffee and tobacco. Puerto Rico, much like it is today, is a huge export of goods and it gets used by a lot of countries. They were getting used by Spain back in the day. Now they're getting used by the United States today, and we're going to get to that. And here's a little known fun fact. 
Spanish from Spain, they brought enslaved Africans and forced them to work on the island of Puerto Rico. So there you go. It's not only white people with the slaves. Spanish people suck too. Let me hop off Puerto Rico for a second, which is, as you know, is very hard for me to do, and get inside Cuba. I can't talk about Spain without talking about Cuba. Cuba was ruled by Spain for centuries, and they did the same thing that they did to the Puerto Ricans, slaves taking their goods, just a colonial empire just beating down on its inhabitants. Because Spain was a huge empire. It was just a humongous empire. Like, just think of the big empires today. United States, Russia, North Korea. Spain was big. Shout out Ferdinand II and Isabel I for sending Christopher Columbus. I know you want to rip down a statue, but if you rip down a statue, then you have no Spanish people. So, sorry. It's interesting that I would see Spanish people ripping down Christopher Columbus's statue, Puerto Rican people ripping down Christopher Columbus's statue. There'd be no you without him. He's your daddy. Spain controlled vast parts of the world. They had Africa. They had the Americas. They had various islands. And one of the islands they had off the coast of Asia, which a lot of Americans know, especially in the Northeast, Filipinos, the Philippines. Shout out Joe Coy. Shout out Jollibee Chicken. Shout out Manny Pacquiao. The Philippines, which, by the way, as a physical therapist, I worked many, many years with the Filipino people. They are the best healthcare workers in the world. Why? Because they have tiny hands. That's what you want in a healthcare worker is tiny little hands. And the Filipinos, they have them. And I love the Philippines. And they're a big part of this Spanish-American story. Here's what happens. Spain is big. They're doing great. You know, they're, 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 they're killing everybody. They're raping. They're pillaging. They're having a good time. They're converting everyone to Christianity. They got the invincible armada. They're the best. Spain, 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 Spain. But what happens? Like anything else, like any other empire in the world, like any human being in the world, they begin to decline. They get a little bit worse. Look at LeBron James. Look at his hairline receding. That's what's happening to Spain at this time. So what happens is the U.S. kind of senses some blood in the water because the USA, we're growing. Spain's getting smaller, we're getting bigger. And we're starting to look at Cuba like that looks like a snack right there. We kind of want that as a snack right there off the coast of Florida. We want to get Cuba that's off the coast of Florida and we want to make that part of our country because we kind of like Cuba. Because Cuba's kind of hot. Let's be honest with you. Cuba's hot. Cuba is sexy. It's a sexy island. Uh, and there's a lot of Jewish people in Cuba, by the way. So for me, nothing's hotter than, um, than a Jewish Cuban person because you just got a rock and hot body and for sure circumcised penis. So what's going on in 1895 is Cuba is just over Spanish colonial rule. They've had enough with the lisp. They've had enough with the helmets. They are done. They're like, we want to be free. And they start to rebel Cubans start to rebel against Spanish colonial rule. They want to be free, free, free. And the U.S., we love that. We still to this day love that. Shout out Zelensky. That's what we're doing with Russia, Ukraine. We're trying to rally behind. Oh, my God. Could you imagine a Spanish Zelensky? Ay, Dios mio. Spain sent over 10,000 troops to suppress the rebellion. And they realized real quick, that ain't enough, son. Because the Cubans, they were using guerrilla tactics. They were burning plantations to the ground, trying to get the Spanish to leave. But the Spanish would not leave. Instead, they dug even deeper. They fought back with this guy, this real scumbag. His name was General Whaler. And he was a Spanish general. And he, he was called the Butcher. Way to go. He would actually make the Cubans get into concentration camps, and he killed 100,000 Cubans uh, in like these filthy, disease-ridden camps. If you didn't move with him, he would shoot you on sight. 
That's what it was. He put you in concentration camps until you stopped this rebellion. So he was like, he was like the Spanish Hitler. Adolf Hitler. That's what, yeah. Adolfo Hitler Ramirez the third from Spain. Also simultaneously happening on our country in the United States, 1890s U.S. nationalism and yellow journalism is on the rise. Yellow journalism, the sensationalizing of the news, which is what we do today. Shout out Anderson Cooper. So that's what happened. And Tucker Carlson, fine, because I'm trying to get everybody. And, you know, whoever else, any TikTok person you follow on the internet, anybody doing the news is sensationalizing it because there's no money in just reading the news. It's boring. People want juicy stuff. That's why the media does what they do. They have to keep us divided, keep us angry. So we buy things from Applebee's that they show on their network. That's what it is. So happening though, first in the 1890s with the yellow journalism and US nationalism on the rise. As I told you, US always had their eye on Cuba. Why? Cotton and sugar. This is a thing that's always been in the US. We always want cotton and we always want sugar. I love sugar. I can't imagine the amount of feet we lost in the 1890s and 1900s in the United States because nobody had any education on diabetes, but everybody wanted sugar. So this is a time in the United States where we are number one. We are the big dogs, and we're really admiring this revolution that Cuba is doing against Spain because we're like, yeah, everybody do it. You know, this is when uh, uh, Flag Day is established. This is when um, uh, the Pledge of Allegiance is established. This is probably when the hot dog was invented. I mean, everything American is happening now in these late 1890s. The power that we still are today starts to get its beginnings here because we're, you know, 30 years past the Civil War. We've rebuilt. Now we're coming in. We're starting to F mofos up. 1897, William McKinley became president of the United States, and he's interesting. We have a huge figure in America at this time. His name is William Randolph Hearst. He's got buildings all around New York City today. I believe he's also the guy that said drugs were no good, and he kind of like put a ban on marijuana because he's just a big dork. He is the big American newspaper publisher who built up the nation's largest newspaper chain, uh, the Daily News, which is still around today. Um, the, and, and he built it up, and he built it up off that yellow journalism, that sensationalizing the news. It was kind of like America's first reality show. You know, everyone thinks they're the first. Everyone thought the Kardashians were first. And so, no, William Randolph Hearst, he had a fake ass and fake tits, and he was running a newspaper company. And he had also had sex with Lamar Odom and Kanye West and Devin Booker and Scott. So William Randolph Hearst's newspaper company started to print the news a bit differently, but it's very familiar today, and they used yellow journalism. Yellow journalism, it is journalism that's based upon sensationalism and crude exaggeration. Sound females. Um, sensationalist headlines, they played off tensions between Spain and the U.S. in a time when like this raucous media found a voice. So they were trying to act like, ah, eh, it's not really that big of a deal. But, you know, we're not, we're going to talk about other things. Probably exactly what's happening today. I'm sure that there's way bigger problems in the world. I'm sure Russia, Ukraine is not the biggest issue in the world. It's just what the media wants you to believe. But here in Christy Chaos, we give you the facts. So William Randolph Hearst has a quote. He says, it would be difficult to exaggerate conditions in Cuba. We merely took a little dramatic license. Our editors were only serving the interests of the public. Americans hate Spain, so we gave them something to stew about. Now, does William Morris have a Irish accent mixed with autism? Yes. So how do we actually get into the Spanish-American War? Leaked memos. Sound familiar? Leaked emails. Hillary! Hillary! Put her in prison! 
1897, like I said, President William McKinley becomes president of the United States. I said president too much, but he doesn't really want to fight. He doesn't want a conflict. He's like, we are number one. We, there's no reason to fight. We don't have to do it. You know, he's probably smoking a little weed on a little mushrooms. He's just chilling like a villain. But then a leaked memo is what gets us into a war. William Randolph Hearst's newspaper leaks a memo from Enrique Dupe de Rome, Spanish ambassador to the United States that basically dissed President McKinley hard. He said, you ready for this? McKinley is a weak bidder for the admiration of the crowd, a would-be politician who tries to leave the door open behind himself while keeping on good terms with jingles of his party. Damn, son, you call me a jingo? Hell no. You see, like, McKinley got upset by this. He's like, you know, I thought we were boys. You were my Spanish ambassador. I thought, and, now you, and now you're talking crap about me, and you put it in Hearst's dirty newspaper. Now I have to go to war. Now I have to kill your people. That gets us close to war. The leaked memo gets us really close. But the one that actually, the third straw, the, the, the straw that broke the Spanish camel's back is the USS Maine, a ship that we had off the coast of Cuba, blows up and sinks. Uh-oh, SpaghettiO. So on February 15th, 1898, battleship USS Maine exploded in Havana, Cuba. 269 American soldiers died. It was really, really, really bad. And what the newspaper starts to report is they say, who destroyed the Maine? $50,000 reward, Spanish treachery, invasion. So the American people are thinking, oh, the Spanish must have done this. But you actually come to find out years and years later, it was just an internal explosion. It was just bad luck. And it blew up. But I'm Chrissy Conspiracies, and I think the U.S. blew it up because McKinley was so pissed. He said, I'm getting into war one way or another. So I blew up the own ship, and I killed my own men. Sorry, not sorry. So now, because the USS Maine blows up, the people think that the Spanish had something to do with it. He has no choice but to ask Congress to go to war. So what's happening here is now we have the leaked memo, we have the sinking of the USS Maine, and these newspapers are starting to print all this stuff like, hey, isn't Spain so terrible? Which they definitely were terrible, but what does that have to do with us? We have not involved with Spain at all unless you think they blew up the USS Maine, which even back then, skeptics thought they did. Skeptics, some people thought they did. Some people thought they didn't. It all is moving towards war because the US just wants war. These big millionaires just want war. So what happens is, is that this war cry starts to happen. It's remember the main to hell with Spain. That's what, if you're in the late 1890s, that's what you're here, here from the American public. Remember the main to hell with Spain. And if you're in my house right now lately, all you're gonna hear is my house is about to get repoed to hell with Puerto Rico. Spain and the United States declare war on each other April of 1898. President McKinley sent a naval blockade to the island of Cuba, which was meant to cut off supplies and communication. And then Spain, in turn, declares war. What happens? In May, one month later, the U.S. sent an American fleet to Spain's most important remaining territory, the Philippines. The Philippines, baby. They send them right to the Philippines. And who's waiting for them? Manny Pacquiao. The U.S. Navy uh, defeated the Spanish, and they took the Philippines pretty quickly, pretty easily. Shout out Commodore George Dewey who the Dewey Decimal System is named after. That's a lie. So here's the thing. Here's the thing about presidents and political leaders. Right now, political leaders, it's all about like, oh, I didn't mean what I said. Back in this day, they didn't care. President McKinley came out his pocket and flat out said this. Even though they sent the troops to the Philippines, he admitted before the decision, he said this, and I quote, I can't tell you within 500 miles where the Philippine Islands are located. And what's more, I don't care. They are of no concern to the United States. Genuinely sounds like my dad. 
April 1898, as I said, the U.S. goes to war, but we're short on men. We only got 28,000 men and large state militias. They're just poorly trained. So what do we do? We get money. We get volunteers. Here comes Teddy Roosevelt. Future President Theodore Roosevelt comes in with the Rough Riders. That's right, baby. He comes in riding condoms, and the Rough Riders are pretty much what saves the day and wins the war. They got 290,000 volunteers. That's a lot of Yeezys. So now enters the Rough Riders. Not the condoms, not the MX's rap group, but Teddy Roosevelt's cavalry, the volunteer cavalry, a.k.a. the Rough Riders, because Theodore Roosevelt was assistant secretary to the Navy. So he was already a big political figure. He was already well-known. He did not at all have to fight in the war. He volunteered to go to this war, where most people of his stature would never go to war. You're going to die. You're going to get malaria. It's going to be bad. You're going to have a Spanish baby, and it's going to get crazy. So, he, But he volunteered, and he was part of this cavalry that was called the Rough Riders. Because let's face it, Puerto Ricans are Rough Riders. Okay, they're rough riders. I know, trust me, I know, things get rough. I've had a stomach flu for six years. All right, so who are the rough riders? Well, they're a very unique group. They're just cowboys, bankers, brokers, merchants, society dudes, doctors. They're everybody, and all they're doing is fighting for their freedom, and instead of storming the Capitol on January 6th, they're storming Cuba to get Spain the hell out of here. Just like January 6th riders are innocent, so are the Rough Riders. JK, the Battle of San Juan Hill on July 1st, that, by the way, July 1st in Cuba's got to be hot, hot, hot. There was a lot of swamp ass in this battle. But in a valley between two hills, the Rough Riders are attacked by the Spanish, and they shoot down and kill a lot of U.S. troops. Thank God Teddy Roosevelt did not get killed. But first of all, it's very, very hard to not only have to fight against Spanish people, but they're lovers, not fighters. So I would imagine there was a lot of homosexual activity happening at that Battle of San Juan Hill because it's very hard to resist a Spanish man. Then Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt takes over the second in command and he advances up that hill, but he was denied at first, but he just kept going. If at first you don't succeed, dust yourself off and try again. You can dust it off and try again, try again. Uh -huh. Oh, I imagine Teddy Roosevelt and Aaliyah hanging out in heaven right now, listening to this podcast. <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt then led his men by Kettle Hill, and they gained the advantage. The U.S. needed to take San Juan Hill, and this is the battle because he just gets, keeps attempting, gets up that hill, which they thought was impossible. This is where Teddy Roosevelt becomes the Teddy Roosevelt we know and love today. By the way, my favorite Teddy Roosevelt quote of all time, and we're just going to stick it in here and take it, get this tattooed, write it down. Teddy Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. Never forget that. Don't compare yourself to nobody, babe. You're good. Just look in the mirror and tell yourself how much you love yourself. The war is now over. Shout out Teddy Roosevelt. Thank you. The Battle of San Juan Hill ends. The U.S. forces moved on to the city of Santiago. Soldiers on the ground, they began a siege of the city while the U.S. Navy destroyed the Spanish warships off the coast in the Battle of Santiago, and then they surround the Spanish army. Santiago surrenders on July 17th, and the war is finito. Here's what happens. Treaty of Paris, 1898. There's always treaties in France. Treaty of Paris in the Colonial War, Treaty of Versailles, you know, World War I. It's like, it's always a problem. It's always, it's always, or maybe that's reversed. I don't know. Tra treaty of Versailles, Treaty of Paris. There's always treaties in France. Well, this one, the Treaty of Paris in 1898, the American and Spanish government meet in Paris to agree to peace terms, to end the war, right? And they basically say, 
you beat us, whatever, fair and square. I'm going to go eat some, have a calamari sandwich and, you know, go back to Madrid, Barcelona. But what they did with the U.S. was like, fine, you can go back to Barcelona. But first, you got to give us Guam and you got to give us Puerto Rico. Okay? You got to give us Guam and you got to give us Puerto Rico. We need Puerto Ricans if this country is going to survive. And baby, they were right. Because there would be no Chrissy D without Puerto Rico. Spain is like, okay, we lost. We're going to go back to Barcelona. And the United States is like, yeah, you bet. You're actually going to go back to Barcelona. But first, you're going to give us Guam. You're going to give us Puerto Rico. And you're going to give us the Philippines for $20 million. We're buying it right now. $20 million. That's a lot of Filipinos. So that's what happens is after the Spanish-American War, we get Guam, we get Puerto Rico, and we get the Philippines, which are still a big part of American culture today. All right, so on July 25th, 1898, 16,000 U.S. troops invaded Puerto Rico at Guanaca. So I mean, it's a little harsh that the U.S. invaded my children's home and, and all my baby mamas who live in Puerto Rico, they were all invaded and my bad for that. But we were going there to basically say that we were liberating the inhabitants of Spanish colonial rule, which, you know, had recently granted the island's government um, like this limited autonomy. Spain had said, well, you can be kind of free, kind of. And the U.S. is like, we're just going to like make sure that, you know, everybody stays free. But of course, we always have a master plan and we wound up taking it as a commonwealth, as you know. And now there's a whole big debate. Does Puerto Rico want to be a state? Do they want to stay a commonwealth? Y'all no say. Not for Blanquito to say. I just do whatever my family says to do, which is usually... Give me money. And so Puerto Rico, back then as it is today, still big, big um, place to, to make manufactured goods and a key naval station in the Caribbean. We need Puerto Rico to protect the United States. And they still supposedly, at least when I went to Puerto Rico, there are a lot of Puerto Rican people there saying that all the United States nuclear arsenal is held under the water in Puerto Rico. They hold it under the water. And if we ever got nuked, all the nukes would come from Puerto Rico. They would come up. There's like a naval base, underground submerged naval base. I don't know if that's, you know, I don't know if that's just Abuelita saying that or if that's real, but that's what they say. And still, you know, the, U the Puerto Rico, I, they make like hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars for the United States still to this day that the U.S. could choose to give to them, but they don't. They basically take it as a fee to, for protecting Puerto Rico. They take all this tax money. You know, Puerto Rico is a tax haven for U.S. citizens because they only charge them 4%. You only have a 4% tax rate in Puerto Rico. So that's why a lot of people go move down there. Your crypto people, your YouTube influencers, all those people go down and move to Puerto Rico because they got a low, low tax rate. And so there is still this debate, you know, do, do we need the, does Puerto Rico need the U.S.'s protection? Like how about some of those hundreds of millions of dollars, let Puerto Rico keep it for themselves, fix the infrastructure, you know, get more resorts, do stuff, give it to the people. But the U.S. takes it. What can you do? You voted for it, not me. In 1900, the Foraker Act basically designated Puerto Rico as an unorganized territory of the United States, and they gave it like a, a limited self-government idea where they said U.S. laws apply to PR, and they also established a civilian government, but it's like you're kind of with us, but not really. So it's all gray zone. But they continued that plantation economy with sugar being the main thing. They kept pumping out that sugar. Yummy, yummy, yummy. Azúcar. Teddy Roosevelt in 1906 is now the president, El Presidente, and he goes to visit Puerto Rico. I wish that I could have been with him. I would love to visit Puerto Rico with Teddy R. And he goes there on a 17-day trip to Panama and Puerto Rico, becoming the first president to make an official visit 
outside of the U.S. and the first president to go to Puerto Rico. And as soon as he got there, guess what he did? Threw paper towels out. Threw them to everybody. <laughs> Just throwing paper towels and everybody was happy. And on December 11th, what he did is when he visited Puerto Rico, he addressed the Puerto Rican Congress and he recommended that Puerto Ricans become United States citizens. What do you think of that? How about them apples? And that's what happened. If you're born in Puerto Rico, you get a U.S. passport. Good for you. So 1917, President Woodrow Wilson, which I used to call my penis. I used to say I have a Woodrow Wilson. Um, they sign the Jones Act. Now, what the Jones Act is, is that basically... It makes Puerto Rico a territory of the United States, organized but, uh, but unincorporated. Uh, a Bill of Rights was created for Puerto Rico. They separated three governments, just like we have the legislative, executive, and judicial, branch, judicial branches. Um, they granted Puerto Ricans U.S. statutory citizenship, um, which means that Puerto Ricans were granted citizenship by an act of Congress, not the Constitution. Um, and that goes back and forth. Actually, during World War I, 18,000 Puerto Ricans served in World War I, which was just one family, the Gomez's from Sunset Park. They had elections that were to be celebrated every four years. Good. And English is decreed the official language of Puerto Rico. But I still say that Puerto Ricans should be speaking Spanish. That's your, or actually, you know what, Puerto Ricans speak Taino. Let's, I want Puerto Ricans to start speaking Taino. Let's go back to the original. Do I know a word in Taino? I don't. I just know what it feels like to get hit with a chancleta when I don't do what my wifey tells me to do. So I don't know if that's Taino, but I have been the victim of a chancleta to the face mucho times. I hope you liked this video. Comment below, what do you think? Should Puerto Rico be a state? Should it be a commonwealth? Should the United States just give it back? What should we do? What's the deal with Puerto Rico? Because we all love Puerto Rico. Of course, it's near and dear to my heart for many personal reasons. If you're a fan of mine, you know my whole family's Puerto Rican. I love them very much. But what do you guys think? What do you think? What does somebody in Idaho think about Puerto Rico? I, you know, I'm here in New York. We're very close to Puerto Ricans. But what is it? what do people think? Comment below, what should we do with Puerto Puerto Rico and what should the United States government do with Puerto Rico. And also, if you are a Puerto Rican citizen, just know you always have sovereignty in my household. Okay. I already have thousands of Puerto Ricans living in my house. What's a few thousand more? All right. So hope you enjoyed Puerto Rico. My name is Chris Stefano, aka Fat Chris, aka Daddy Chrissy, aka Bad Chrissy, Chrissy Bunny. All right, and remember, yesterday was history, a.k.a. ayer fue historia. <laughs>